Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 62. I am back. Chaz, one of the hosts, and with me, as always, Richard and Seth. Richard, how's it going? Hey, Chaz. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Seth, what's up? You guys did a great job in uh, in my absence. Oh, thank you. How was the trip to yeah. Seattle? Uh, it was good. Um, they assured me that uh, both green mythics aren't bad, so I'm 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 a little more optimistic about one of them than I originally was. So, wizards, you convinced me. Good job, representatives. Uh, Aaron Forsyth, you know, talk to everyone <laughs> to the to the big cheeses. So they uh, they convinced me. They're- they said, look past the the uh, the six converted mana costs, and you will find your answer. Okay. That in I the did. future future league, I'm sure it started with in the future future <laughs> league. This card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, well, you know, if you need one extra person for this uh, alleged future future league in the in the future, I guess <laughs> pun, uh, then uh, I should be a part of it. And they're like, oh, well, uh, we'll see what we can do. But yeah, uh, on the docket this. We're going to talk a little bit about the BNR announcement. That is something that is happening very soon. Uh, rotation. That's also something something that's happening like in two weeks, and everyone's really excited about it. Uh, testing has been awesome. It's really refreshing. Um, I know I was kind of talking to you, Seth, about that um, a little bit. And um, the pre-release is this weekend, so strap in. It's going to be an awesome ride. Shadows over Innistrad. We have the full spoiler. You guys did a really great job breaking down the last few bits of cards we wanted to talk about. So, yeah, it was a sweet cast. And um, for once, you messed up the episode number, Seth. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I didn't realize Uh, how hard your job was, Chaz. (laughs) I know. We're keeping the tradition strong. So let's just um, let's jump right in. So being our announcement, there there has to be something that's going to be done, right? At this point, it's pretty much a lock. What do you think, Richard? Uh, Yeah, I think everyone knows Eldrazi's on its way out. It's whether... Both cards, Ivugin and Temple, go, um, or you know which one of probably more likely one of those will go. Which one will go, and whether there's any collateral damage, will Affinity right. get something on the way out? So those are the yeah. big questions remaining here. But definitely, Eldrazi yeah. are gone. Yeah, Seth, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that Eldrazi is getting a banning. Um, what it is remains to be seen. I'm leaning towards them only banning one of the two lands, just because they made it clear that they want to keep Eldrazi around in Modern to some extent, and I think if you ban both, the deck is essentially dead. Um, and I would be surprised if they did much else at this announcement. This isn't the typical, the Modern Pro Tours coming up, let's change up the format. And in all honesty, we don't know what, post-banning Twin Modern looks like, because as soon as Twin was banned, it just became 50% Eldrazi meta. So I I would think they would, other than banning something from Eldrazi, take a pretty light touch and and see how the format develops without Twin and without Eldrazi, because we just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lock. Eldrazi's on its way out. Again, what they do is remains to be seen. There's like been so much discussion about Eye of Ugin, Temple of uh, Eldrazi, even Eldrazi Mimic was thrown in there to some extent. I don't know if two of the cards are going to get the axe because it might just end up killing the deck, but I think one of them is likely to go and it, it, it will probably be Eye of Ugin and Tron players will just have to deal. That's my inclination. Uh, but what's more interesting getting past the banning of Eldrazi is like you said, Seth, we get to actually see what they envisioned Modern to be without Twin, right? We we get to actually see what they were aiming for, right? We get 
hopefully uh, some more archetypes start to emerge and you know they are a little more viable without Eldrazi running around. So well, I, I'm it's going to be sweet to see what uh, they had in mind. I I might <laughs> if I was being cynical argue that this is what uh, Wizards was going yeah. for, <laughs> like getting rid right. of Twin and printing some potentially overpowered Eldrazi. I think this was the goal, but it went a little bit too far. Like I think they wanted to make sure Eldrazi showed up at the Pro Tour and was a deck in Modern, but I think that it went a little farther uh, than they envisioned and got kind of yeah. out of hand, which is why we are where we are now. Yeah, uh, to combat your cynicism, and I understand, you know, everyone's a little skeptic, but. Uh, Aaron Forsyth, when BDM did, we go back to that interview, uh, back in the Pro Tour, or it was a GP, it was like one of those GPs, and Aaron Forsyth alluded to himself that they don't really, like, test this stuff all, like, very thoroughly, so maybe it's like you said, they kind of knew it was going to be a thing, but didn't know it was going to be the thing and nothing else, so that's my, uh, my, my take on that. But I'd be interested to see, like, if these collected company lists are going to remain to be very strong. Uh, if, you know, we just we just don't know because it was like, at this point, it was Eldrazi decks and decks that are somewhat good against Eldrazi. So maybe, maybe it opens it up. But to go back to what you said, Richard, I think we're going to get a ban now. And then I would have to imagine, like, Mox Opal and a card like Gorio's Vengeance will be placed on their watch list. Why Gorio's Vengeance? It hasn't... Because... Done much. Yeah, because I think with Eldrazi gone, that might be a new, like, fast Sim- Simeon Spirit Guide combo deck, and that might not be what they want. I think they should just ban, like, all the fast la- uh, mana. They seem to not like it, and let's just get rid of it and go from there. I mean, I just, I mean, I, I tweeted out, I'd rather they just ban Mox Opal now, and I don't have to, like, worry about it for, you know, when everyone in- <laughs> inherently, like, it's just un- inevitable that everyone's going to be complaining about it. Yeah, so, I don't know, Affinity is weird, it's it's so broken, I think they'll have to ban it, but I think Seth is right where they'll kind of just hit Eldrazi and they'll wait, but I think the metagame will kind of remain the same in that it's just Affinity everywhere, um, but to your point about broken combos, so with Eye of Ugin gone, uh, control decks might actually have some kind of shot, so the problem with control decks today is you struggle to gain control you gain control, and then, you know, your Tron opponent, your Aldrazi opponent just sits there and Ivugins their entire deck out and you lose. So without that inevitability, like, maybe a control deck can actually emerge, and maybe this is what Wizards wanted originally with, you know, Twin gone, Ivugin gone, no fast, oppressive decks like, you know, running Thought Knots here. You can actually play a control deck. You can actually remand into, you know, Snapcast or something into Cryptic and then, like, win the game like that. So I'm hoping that actually makes a comeback, and we get an actual control deck in Modern uh, once the Eldrazi are gone. I I think we're pretty much to the point, speaking of control in Modern, where it's more or less a guarantee that Ancestral Visions is going to be unbanned. I don't think it'll happen this announcement, but for me, I think that's almost 100% that sometime in the next year, maybe two years, Ancestral Visions will come off the, the ban list. And that might help control a bit, too. I don't even know if it's good enough, honestly, though, depending on the format. Yeah, I was, I was talking to my friend, and there is zero point to playing Control now. Like, you know, you could play a Counterspell, or you can just play Abrupt Decay, right? Which <laughs> you can, you know, counter things after the fact. And, you know, so many cards now have on-cast triggers, uh, and, you know, you have Cavern of Souls, you have uh, Aether Vial. You have so many things to dodge Counterspells that there isn't actually 
a real reason to play a counterspell, and you have all these two-for-one cards. You have Painful Truths, uh, you have Colligan's Command, you have all these other cards which kind of do the blue, you know, the blue job. So I just don't see a point of playing Control. Like they, they've, they've kind of printed cards in such a way that there's no point anymore. Just, just play your Abrupt Decay, play your Anguished Unmaking or whatever, right? It's like the same as a counterspell, but you can do it whenever you want, right? So yeah, it's, it's just in a weird spot right now. But like, do you guys ever watch basketball when one team gets like a massive dunk and maybe it doesn't put them in the lead, but the crowd gets hyped up and it kind of energizes their team? That's what kind of what a counter spell does. It's I think that there's some like psychological advantage to countering someone's spell because that is if you talk to a new player, that's way more fus- frustrating than having your card doombladed because if it gets doombladed or abrupticate, at least you got to cast it and you feel like you did something even though the outcome's the same. So I think there's some psychological advantage uh to being able to counter spell people's things that you don't get from abrupticate. So you just want to shatter their will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, there's there's some truth to that, Seth. I mean, as an aggressive player and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I know this is going to get countered. So it's like you're trying to manipulate your outs in a different way that to, to play around a counterspell when it's a little easier throwing it out there and it's like, well, if it gets killed, great. If it doesn't, oh well. But when you can clearly see they have mana open and it's your turn and you're like, they're playing blue and you're like, is this a remand? Is this a cryptic? Like, uh, this is going to suck. <laughs> 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 at least like you get to play your creature and then it gets killed. You're like, okay, at least you know they had the removals. I think it's me- really... More so than the psychological damage, it's the the tempo loss. Like, having something countered on your turn, and then your opponent getting to do what they want to do on their turn, is a little... It's it's more demoralizing than just having your creature get killed. That said, Control in Modern is still in a bad place, and... Maybe. And it has been for a while now. Like, for years, literally, since Blue, Blue yeah. White Red was actually a, a Tier 1 deck for a, a minute or two. So I don't know. I I would like to see a control deck in modern. I just I don't know if it'll work. It's I'm the scary thing is when I think about the ban list and I think of Jace the Mind Sculptor. Half of the time I'm like I don't even know if Jace would good and playable in modern. Like I don't know if you unban Jace, I still don't know if you're going to have a tier one control deck. That's how far we are away from having a good blue control deck in modern. Interesting. Oh man, <laughs> I, I think I mean if Aldrazi around, maybe Jace is terrible. Nothing yeah. better than getting Reality Smasher into your Jace. But <laughs> if there's nothing to kill you by like turn two or three, like Jace will take over the game. I think. Yeah, I mean it's it's still a really strong card. I mean there there's ways to make it good. You know, if it's unbanned, then all bets are off. People are gonna definitely try to make it good, and I, I'm sure they would see. You can make like an all Jace deck. Just play like four Rin's Prodigies, <laughs> play four Mind Sculptors, and just play like all Cantrips. So that's all you need. No, well, that's what your opponents will be doing. They'll be playing the Jaces to kill your Jace. It'll be like good old Callblade times. <laughs> Bring back the legendary Jace. Yeah, Jace Tribal. <laughs> um. Any any more thoughts on on post banning? Uh, I I think honestly all we can do now is just sit back and wait. It's not exciting, but I mean it's all we can really do. The only other thing I would say is you mentioned just banning all the fast mana outright. And why that might make the gameplay better, the one thing I really don't like about that is it's another push 
of modern being standard light rather than being yeah. legacy light. You know what I'm saying? It's a it, right, it right. makes the format even more standard. If you don't have fast mana, you don't have ad nauseum anymore. Like that deck needs Simeon Spirit Guide to be able to win the game. And there's other like weird combo decks that are just totally gone from the format. And those are combo decks that aren't really that good. Like they're fine and they're playable, but they're not going to break the format. So. I don't know. I think we lose a lot of the a lot of interesting things if we just banned all the fast man altogether. I mean, but isn't that what Wizard wants at the well, end of the day? Like, aren't they? They're they're totally okay with. I think they're they want it to be standard plus rather than legacy. I don't really think they've ever come out and said they want it to be legacy. Like I, they, all their all their bannings and all their rhetoric and the the way they kind of handle modern is like okay. You know, this is just your next step out of standard, and you get to keep all those cards. And oh, did, you, did we remind you like you get to still cast Siege Rhino? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I think they're perfectly okay with it being a creature centric format with some spells and stuff like that. And they don't really want like these ad nauseum, like super storm combo decks because you know, sad face. You know, people don't want to be combo down killed on like turn three because the feel bads. And you know, that's really it. I mean. I, no, I, I agree with you. I think that's 100% true that Wizards, that's how they want the format to be. I'm right. just saying I don't really want the format. Well, to yeah, obviously. Personally, it, it I don't like yeah, that. As some, uh, yeah, of course. As some as players that have played the game a long time, we like the complexity, and we don't want it to like just be see, my Siege Rhinos and your you know, Kalidas or whatever, you know, just smashing against each other for until the end of time. time you know? We want some complexity. We want some tempo. And I think, I mean, I've been saying this all along, like the blue, red, re- the blue, red, white, like uh, Angel of Restoration, Snapcaster, like Tempo deck is as close to control as you'll ever get in that form. Like they, they don't really want the like dirtily, you know, draw, go, I play counter spells and, you know, mill you out of the game or something like that. They don't really care about that anymore. I mean, if, if they do, then I would hope they do something to prove that otherwise. But uh, so far, I haven't seen it. What do you the think, problem- the problem with fast mana is the way you beat fast mana is with counter spells. So, right. you know, you let them four for one themselves as a ritual into something, and then you counter it. But then the format devolves as non-blue, which is yeah. like basically legacy, right? And I, I don't know that Wizards wants modern. So I, I think Chaz is more correct in saying that they'll eventually just get rid of all of the fast mana. And they'll keep fast mana around when there are not enough finishers. Like today, if you Simeon Spirit Guide, you can't get too oppressive, like... One extra red mana lets you do some stuff, but not too much. But the minute they print an overpowered red card, then they'll ban Simeon Spirit Guy, right? right? Like, same with Aljazi Temple, right? Like, it was whatever, you know, powering out your your Emrakul, like, two turns earlier doesn't matter, <laughs> yeah. right? But then the minute they print something aggressively costed, like, it all, like, falls apart, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, like, Mox Opal, Simeon Spirit Guy, those cards hang around until there's a critical mass of cards to make them too good, and then they'll go. Well... Luckily, we don't have to worry about it, because when was last time they printed an overpowered red card? Never. <laughs> so, Simeon Spirit Guide is Gop safe. Guide. <laughs> Wolf, Wolf of Devil's holding Breach. Str- gonna... the hold of, the holding Strong Goblin Guide. <laughs> Yo, yeah, you can play two Goblin Guides on turn one if you exile a Spirit Guide. That actually sounds pretty scary. That sounds pretty busted. <laughs> yeah. I, might, I might actually do that. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I think, like... Yeah, you you and Richard are right. They're, they'll do it, but it'll be like a process. They're not going to just axe everything. Although it would be great just to kind of tear the bandage off and you know let everyone kind of you know go from there. But 
it's not going to be they'll they'll do it one one thing at a time and they'll wait and they'll see what goes on but i think eventually they'll just end up you're probably right like it'll slowly get to that point but and this is coming from an affinity player i think they should just ban mox opal okay like it's fine whatever <laughs> Chad, and they'll realize give that, it up you on know, his Shatterstorm... <laughs> oh yeah i mean but then they'll realize that like shatterstorm and like kataki are totally fine and it still destroys Affinity anyway, and, you know, everyone will be fine with it. So post-board, I always bring in, like, ten cards again. <laughs> and you know, what, you know what's on my sideboard? Two Shatterstorms, two Ancient Grudges, yeah. an extra Coligan's Command, an extra Abrupt Decay, and a Tragic yeah. Well, that <laughs> It's like, that's what I need to win a game against that's, that's, I w- Go ahead, go ahead. Well, that's... No, like- I'm just saying... Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying... Uh, I'm just saying uh, Abrupt Decay will probably be a lot better soon enough. For me, though, that's, like, the argument for maybe banning affinity uh it's almost like dredge and vintage like dredge is the best deck in the format if people aren't packing sideboard cards on the other hand if you play eight or ten sideboard cards it's a worse deck in the format you're going to beat dredge 90 percent of the time and affinity is almost the same way where if you're going to play four stony silences and two ancient grudges and a kataki you're going to have a good matchup against it but then you're eating up more than half of your sideboard just to play Affinity, and when you play the other 85% of your games in other matchups, you don't have sideboard cards for them. So it puts this weird pressure on deck building because Affinity is so good and demands so much attention just so you don't auto-lose. Right, well then, you know, if they ban, well that's where banning Mox Opal comes into place, and if you slowed them down a turn or so, then you get to at least cast your Shatter's Kataki in a timely and you should be good. I mean... They're not going to increase your sideboard like five cards. I think them banning or slowing down decks a turn or so is more feasible than them adding sideboard cards well, to Mox. I think, though, that if you slow Affinity down a turn, maybe you can play four sideboard cards instead of eight and still right, have there you some go. chance of winning the matchup. So by powering it down, that does like give some more flexibility to deck building, I think. Yeah, you're essentially adding sideboard lots. So I could add four boils and four chokes to my sideboard. <laughs> with like yeah, the there you go. Oh my god, blue is so hosed. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched someone get boiled out of blue modern. <laughs> Alright, uh, so let's move along. Uh, the next thing on the docket is we wanted to talk about rotation. Rotation, rotation, rotation. Uh, it's happening. Finally, we don't have to watch Siege Rhino and Fetch Lands and four-color nonsense for what seemed to be like a millennia. So uh, what do you think? Uh, do you, have you, we got the full set. Have you sat down, just threw some cards together? Did you see like any kind of interesting synergies? Uh, I'd like to hear from both of you. So Richard, what do you think? Uh, I think it's about time. I'm, I'm tired of seeing all these overpowered cards. So at Friday Night Magic, uh, we, we finished our modern match first and we went to watch Standard. And I legitimately thought that these decks could like beat my deck. <laughs> because they're sitting there like dig through time, painful truth. Yeah, like yeah. not even like they get a lucky game off me, but like the matchup was probably fifty fifty or sixty forty. <laughs> right? I'm like, this is ridiculous. Right? And you're playing what, modern jump? I'm playing jump, right? I'm supposed to be playing like the most efficient cards, and here they are, right? You know, if we get crackling doomed, dig through time into siege ride, I'm gonna die. Right? Like they basically got yeah. little absent over there, right? So I I'm I'm ready to see these cards go. It's interesting, so the fetches go, so no more funny mana bases. A lot of the powerful uh, card draw goes, Dig Through Time and um, Treasure Shatter. Cruise. Painful yep. Truth is still around, though. Uh, but all those charms, like Abs and Charm, Crackling Doom, those things go. So all of those efficient two-for-ones are going. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how the new format shakes out now that you just can't jam like every single best two-for-one or three-for-one in the format into your deck. Yeah. 
Seth, what do you think? Yeah, I am super excited for it. Probably the <laughs> the story of this rotation for me is really the ancestors finally leaving. I've had such a odd relationship with this card. Like, I was playing Rally nine months ago when it was basically impossible to play Rally. Like, these weird Mardu aristocrats <laughs> that were horrible. And then all of a sudden, it is like the Eldrazi of standard. I think the last G or SCG Open had five of the top eight was four-color Rally decks. So somehow that card has managed to creep over Siege Rhino, which was my previous most hated card. So I can't wait for that one to be gone. Uh, and I think that the new format's gonna be really sweet. Like, I, I'm excited. I feel like we're going back to normal standard now. Like, this last yeah. format was just so abnormal with the four and five color decks and the crazy mana that I think we're gonna see a lot more diversity. Or even though, diversity in the sense a lot more cards will probably play like we have a lot right. of different deck names now but all of those cards have a lot of overlap because it's so easy to splash Coligan's command or abzan charm or siege rhino so even though they have different names and it's mardu green or abzan blue or whatever these they look very similar and play similarly i think the new format is going to be more about two color decks and i'm really excited to see some of these tribes uh from shadows over innistrad because they look really powerful like i would be surprised if there isn't a vampire slash madness deck in red black and a zombie deck in mono black or black blue, uh, maybe even a werewolf deck. So there's just so, so many different things that are possible right now. I'm super excited for it. Yeah, it's going to be great. I, I got, I got to sit down and just look at a few cards. I mean, and this is where, uh, like <laughs> I was talking about in the beginning of the cast, like, uh, one of the green mythics. So even like sitting down and just re, just reevaluating and see just some interesting, uh, synergies here, like, like at Uvenwald Hydra, you know, at first you, you look at it, you're like, oh, this is like, this isn't really that good. This is like EDH, uh, fodder, and I'm sure it'll be good there, and not to like, <laughs> upset any EDH players I'm out there, but. Now, Charles. <laughs> no, yeah. This is, well, this is like a replacement for Primeval Titan, so there you go. Uh, but no, even in standard, like, getting any land is actually a lot more powerful than people realize, and reach is actually a lot more important this time around than ever before, because all of these really strong cards, Avacyn, Olivia, Air of Falconrath, all of these cards just have flying, and they're all really good, and suddenly, like, you need creatures with reach or a way to deal with them, and if you don't have a a lot of removal, then creatures with reach obviously can can fill that slot. So uh, I was just looking at that, like, if you can set up a scenario where you're playing an Uvenwald Hydron 6, and it might end up being better than like a card like Oblivion Sower because you can kind of target what you specifically want rather than leave it up to Oblivion Sower to ramp you. And you could like go get a card like Sancta Bavugan, right? And set up your next two turns conceivably chaining World Breakers together because you could have a World Breaker in your hand, you get your Sanctum, you're good to go, you get to play your World Breaker, chain that into another World Breaker. So there's a lot of like interesting things you can do just from like one land and one card like an, a card like Uvenwald Hydra. So, I mean, I love Shadows over Innistrad, and maybe it's just because of Innistrad, but this is something we talked about all the time, Seth. Like, there's just so many interesting cards in this set that you never really look at one card and like, oh, this is complete trash. Like, there's there could be something worth doing with, like, ev- even, like, the most innocuous cards. Except for Wolf of Devil's Well, that, yeah. That is, one is yeah, complete that, trash. <laughs> yeah, that is that is trash. I would okay. say Wolf is better than the Hydra, man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't oh, know about the Hydra. I'm not buying it, Chaz. <laughs> oh, that's, 
That's rough. Remember, this um, is coming straight from Wizards. This is what they told you, right, Chaz? So, yeah, see? That, that's where, like, hey, listen, they could get, get your Sanctum of Ugin or Shrine so of the Sea. What we don't know God. is next step, they're going to print Eye of Hydra, <laughs> <laughs> where Hydra cards cost three less. Yes. It's going to be the Crucible of Spirit Dragons all over again. <laughs> they just print a straight-up better Hydra. I mean, that would happen. But um, so we wanted to like take this time to talk a little bit of bio- financial stuff too, and start comments. Uh, I know you wrote the EV article, Seth. So why don't you take us through that a little bit, and we can talk about um what what the numbers are for Shadows Over Innistrad. Is this just another you know fair set? I mean, it looks it looks like it from the EV, but uh, there is a little bit of nuances there with foils and flip cards that uh make it a little different from each set. If you open a box of Shadows of Innistrad, on average, you'll get about $100, $105 worth of cards out of it, which is actually not bad. It's not as good as some sets, like Cons was $125 or something, but it's better than a lot of sets. It's slightly positive, and the good news is that means if you're drafting or playing pre-release, it's almost a free roll. Like, you should be, if you play enough to even out the variants. Over time, you're going to be getting your money's worth playing those events, and any prize packs you win or whatever is just uh, gravy, I guess, free value. The interesting thing, probably the most shocking thing to me, is that because the double-faced cards are in their own slot, they actually add about as much E to a box as the Expeditions did in Oath of the Gatewatch and Battle for Zendikar, wow. which to me was really surprising. I did not expect it to be that much value, but essentially, like, in the amount of time you'll open one $50 Expedition, you'll open an Arlen Cord, and you'll open an Avacyn, and a Thing in the Ice. So it equals out to be about the same as having Expeditions from a value perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, that's really sweet. And that's why, I mean, I, I think I mentioned that too, like, not that I'm complaining about Expeditions or $50 bills, you know, people being smart, but... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think I would rather see, like, these flip cards at least at a little bit more of a frequency Expedition, because... It's nice, like, all these flip cards are kind of interesting, but then, like, you know, you can, you're, you're playing the lottery on top of the lottery with the expeditions where you get an expeditions, but it's like a canopy, or, you know, one of the, uh, Battle for Zendikar land. You're like, oh, you know, and not as excited. At least, like, with these, uh, you have a little bit more of a, a chance to, like you said, get a thing in the ice or, uh, Archangel Avison or even, you know, a Westvale Abbey or something. Yeah, it's awesome because, on average, you'll open about one uh, flip or double-faced mythic every box. So there's a lot less feel-bads for the normal player. When if you're buying Battle for Zendikar, uh, you're hoping for an expedition, obviously. But as you know, what did you open? Two or three boxes, Chaz, and you didn't get a single expedition? I got a, what was the green-white? Canopy oh, Vista? Or even worse, actually. You got an expedition, Vista. but it was Canopy yep. Vista. But the, yeah, it sure was. But the odds are not in favor of you opening one right. in any box. But with the flip cards, you are going to get one. So even if you get a crappy one, at least you got something. Like, you're not coming away from your box feeling disappointed because I didn't get a Mythic. You got to flip Mythics. Or you because you didn't get an expedition, you got to flip Mythics. So you should be happy either way. So I like that it feels better for the average player that's just opening one fat pack. Because you should get a double-faced rare Mythic. Opening one box. Because you should get a Mythic. So I think that that part makes it feel a lot better for people opening product. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's great. Uh, is there anything, so just to continue on, is there anything striking? Because you, you, you talked about some of these mythics, right? And you did add the caveat in the EV article that everyone should obviously remember that, um, this is a snapshot and a card like Soren Grim Nemesis can, 
go up to like $40 or, or, you know, go down to $5. And it wouldn't really make a huge difference in the EV. And the EV can obviously maintain a couple cards doing that, you know, before it starts getting to the point where it's, you can start just buying boxes and get value out of it. But um, is there anything that's striking you even during the pre-order period that might, that seems like a little underpriced or in this case overpriced? Um, well, I think Thing in the Ice is a little bit overpriced, even though I think it's a very good card. I don't think yeah. it can maintain like $15. I think somewhere between 5 and 10 maybe 6 to 8 is probably a more likely long-term landing spot. And then the rares are just, they're odd. I think if you look over the rares, there's not a lot of true chase rares. Discounting Thing in the Ice, which is actually a double face card, so it doesn't come in the rare slot. There's a ton mm. of cards between the like 5 and $2 value. And I think we're going to see some of those cards really decent. And then there's going to be other ones that are going to shoot up after they have a good Pro Tour. Like, that's the interesting thing with this set, is it's a set release tied to a standard Pro Tour. And as we saw with Battle for Zendikar, the last standard Pro Tour, that has potential to really shake up prices. So I expect to see, even though this has been kind of a slow financial time, once the Pro Tour comes around, we're going to see a lot of price movement. Even though in the long term, most of these cards, I still think are going to decrease. There might be five or ten that increase from where they are now, but overall, they'll be going down as the sets open. Right. And then you have to remember with this new block cadence, even if these five or ten cards go up in price for, uh, you know, a little bit of time, uh, they might actually start decreasing again uh, because we're we're getting into this cadence where rotations happen a little faster. Uh, so the the amount of time these cards will hold a higher value is starting to decrease uh, now that again we're we're entering a a rotation schedule that's a little faster. So that I think that's kind of how they want to happen. Yeah, and to jump off of uh, shadows in specific, I think that well a few weeks from now when we have the pro tour. Uh, the week or two after that will likely be the for most of the cards from Magic Origins and Dragons of Tarkir. If you look back at the last rotation, uh, that is when most of the cards from uh, Cons of Tarkir really increased. Uh, Anafenza had a good pro tour, and that was their peak, like a week or two after that pro tour, and then they just slowly descended for the next six months. So yeah. I would start to look towards after the Pro Tour, moving out of those cards uh, so you'll have some money for all the crazy sets that are coming this summer, and that way you're not caught uh, selling after they've decreased and you're getting as much value as possible out of those cards. Exactly. Uh, Richard, did you want to chime in any of this? <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. Uh, you got nothing. Um, now, Shadows does have a rare uh, land cycle, set, so that does kind of set like a... A, a soft floor for all these rares, right? Like when when we look at sets with a rare land cycle, and that seems to be the the trend in in most sets these days. It, it does kind of set a little bit of a floor, and it does kind of drive down a, a lot of these other rares that even if they're kind of good, they they still end up being around a dollar or under a dollar just because there's this rare land cycle that everyone ends up wanting to play anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, this obviously the impact won't be as pronounced as with the Fetchlands, for example, which were obviously, $20, yeah. and these are yep. more like $5. But yeah, it definitely does have an impact having that land cycle, uh, because those they're usually among the most expensive rares in the set, so they end up eating up a good chunk of the set's value. Yeah. From what I'm seeing, and, and just looking over your numbers and, and kind of reading and just doing my own evaluations here of the set, I feel like this set's a little, from what it seems, 
uh, it seems top heavy. It seems like the value is most likely going to be distributed around the mythics. And we'll get like, again, like you said, those six to eight dollar mythics, like thing in the ice or even like sin prodder. And then you have the lands and then a bunch of two to three dollar cards and then the rest likely under a dollar. So I think they kind of are, it's a success for Wizards to make a set like this without Expedition. And it was a really big concern because everyone was kind of thinking, oh, are we going to have like, you know, a bunch of $30 cards again? And and the Expeditions actually kind of helped depress prices. I think they did a really good job, especially with four Planeswalkers in one set, that they kind of made a scenario that the value is tied up in all these and distributed semi-evenly. Uh, yeah, that is one of the most interesting things about the set is you don't have any super expensive cards, but you also have a, don't have as many bulk cards at Mythic or Rare as you do in a lot of sets. So that adds more guaranteed value, I guess, if you are going to be opening product. And it also, it also suggests to me, I think that there needs to be some more stratification that happens. Like, I think when it's all said and done, I don't think it's likely that we have seven or eight mythics between 15 and $25. I think it's right that as the set plays out and decks start uh, being created and we start seeing what's performing well, some of those cards are going to move down into the next tier, the five to $10 tier. And then a couple of them will probably stay up in the $20 range. So it's just a matter of trying to figure out which, uh, which ones are heading down and which ones are <laughs> right. going to maintain their value. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, it's and that and that's kind of a really good scenario because there's not going to be there's going to be a couple expensive cards but uh mostly if you're opening boxes or say opening packs for value or you know you're just buying cards you're you're likely going to get a pretty fair value on most of these cards for quite some time uh it won't be for a while that uh the supply starts to there's like a cut in supply and people aren't opening packs when we get eldritch moon and stuff like that and then eternal masters where you get all these sets releasing at once and people aren't drafting or opening packs as much. I don't think that's going to affect Shadows as much as it may say uh, Eldritch Moon. So that that's going to be uh, a scenario that we're going to get into and cover uh, once Eldritch Moon and, and those sets start to release. But I think for sure Shadows, I think if you're buying cards at value and you need to play them, then you're, you're likely going to be playing a fair price for a lot of these cards. And if you wait a little longer and you don't need stuff immediately, then I think waiting will end up helping you as well. Yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, a question for you, or both of you, actually, if you want to answer. So we got the standard Pro Tour coming up. Almost every rotation Pro Tour, when a set's released, uh, for standard at least, there's one mythic in particular that really takes off in doubles in price. That's how you get a $20 mythic that becomes a $40 mythic. I mean, it happened with Jace Architect, I thought. It happened with Gideon in Battle for Zendikar. What is your pick for a mythic you think could come out of the Pro Tour weekend, weekend being double what it is now? Like the breakout mythic of the set. I I have an inclination it might be a little. I, I could see that. I think that that's... And I, and I say that because I think people... I mean, obviously a lot of people know it's good. No one has really said anything bad about it. But it, it the kind of the same thing happened with Gideon, right? You know, everyone was like, oh, Gideon's so good, Gideon's so good. And then they didn't realize it was like $50. You know, the same thing with Jace. I don't think there was really a lot of people saying Jace was terrible. But no one knew it was going to be an $80 myth. You know, so even when you said it failed college, you know, I don't think you were uh, 
expecting, you know, to be an $80 Mythic. No. No, I don't think anyone was really expecting Jason right. Mind Sculptor prices. Right. I think Olivia and... I've been burned by Black Red Mythics before, <laughs> so I really hesitate saying this, but uh, it's just in a time period where Black Red has a lot of good cards in it. It's not Underworld Cerberus this time around where uh, Black Red clearly wasn't that good. Uh, and Olivia, it's not just a Black Red card, you know what I'm saying? It, it's not just a vampire-centric card. It can really fit into a lot of different archetypes. Uh, its ability is just really powerful. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that that definitely has a chance to be a big player at the Pro Tour. So I think that's yeah. a, a good suggestion. I'd also keep my eye on our favorite frog horror, the Gitrog Monster. Yeah. That feels like the kind of card that when pro teams get together for two weeks and try to break a format, it could be something that they figure out how to use and creates a really interesting and powerful deck. Even in standard, that doesn't have as many pieces as in older formats. So I could see that being a candidate for a double up if it ends up if a if a team ends up figuring it out and it makes the top eight. Yep, I agree. Richard, what do you think? Uh, Seth stole my answer. So I like <laughs> Olivia. I like Relentless Dead, but they're already so expensive. They're already yeah. in like the fifteen to like eighteen dollar range. Whereas the Geechog Monster is just sitting at a cool eight dollars. So you know, if standard is what I think Wizards wants it to be, which is just weird grindy mid range decks, the Gitrog Monster can come out on top here and you know, going from eight to fifteen or something is not totally unreasonable. So uh I'm going with the monster as well. The monster. Yeah, I think that's a good I think that's a good choice. Uh it's definitely an engine. It provides value in, in colors that desperately need it. So I can definitely see that happening. Um yeah, so just just to kind of recap, because we wanted to do a full thing for rotation. So we talked about Shadows and everything um, with that. We talked about Mythics and what we think uh, are good choices going forward. Talked about EV. Uh, I did want to say, you know, we always kind of pre- preface everything we say with a wait-and-see mentality. And that's always usually good when a set is first releasing. But that might not be a good strategy for sets that are now done essentially with opening cards uh, as Shadow starts to release. And that's the battle for Zendikar block. It's still around. There's still cards in that set that uh, in that block that people are going to need. So the wait-and-see mentality is over. And if you definitely need cards from that set, I would advise getting them right now. From a lot of the rare lands, like have been pretty steadily increasing. So those are ones that stick out right away that, you probably should have gotten already, but you definitely should get the dual lands now if you are going to be playing standard, because you're going to need them almost no matter what deck you play. Yeah, definitely. The The lands are a cornerstone of your, your mana base. Cards like Gideon can all, uh, suddenly show back up on the scene and start trending upward. Uh, we've seen Drana already trend upward, so there's definitely rares and mythics in there that uh, it, it would be best to act now. So I wouldn't be waiting too Especially even cards like Nyssa, Voice of Zendikar, are starting to creep back up suddenly. So I think just people are starting to write, you know, magic markers on cards, put cards together, test cards, and they're starting to see some some preliminary uh, synergies here. And you will likely see that uh, reflected in the, you know, cards like on the site that's they're going up, the, the movers and shakers and the increases in price. So... As people are figuring things out, well, that'll be reflected. So what's what are your takes on Kalidas, who has quietly crept up to $23 now? Yeah. 
It's a good card. I mean, it's I didn't expect it to go all the way up to $3. Uh, there was a lot of people that said it would, and obviously they were right. I, I always thought it was a great card. I just it's going to be a $25 good card, but it's still going to be around. It's still really strong, and it's going to be a, a card that a lot of black, anything playing black really, is going to lean on to stop and stonewall these very aggressive lists. I yeah, think, like it, it, it has, um, let me just interrupt for a second. It has the exile effect, uh, which yep. is relevant for stuff like Relentless Dead. Uh, it has the vampire creature type, which is good for vampire tribal. So he's already crazy expensive. He's already, so he, he's already being played in modern Jund. Right, which is why I, right. which is why I'm aware of how expensive it is. Uh, so the fact that it's competing in multiple spots, I, I'm a bit worried for Shadows over in his stride. What do you think, Seth? Do you think he's going to go even higher? Well, I mean, he could go a little bit higher, but I wouldn't be worried about him being the next Jace or anything like that. Like, it's just not that type of card. Even though you're playing it in Modern Jund, you're not playing it as a four of. Uh, I wouldn't assume. It's probably more of like a one of or a two of in the 75. So I wouldn't worry about it being $80, but it's not impossible that it keeps climbing up. I think a lot of it depends on uh, what the new format looks like. It really, if Eldrazi Ramp is the best deck in the format and Vampires isn't in the top tier, it could start to trend down uh, because I don't think Kalidus is very good against uh, the big Eldrazi strategies. On the other hand, if there's a lot of aggro decks and you want the lifelink ability and Vampires slash Madness is one of the better decks in the format, it definitely could keep climbing up to 30 or a little bit over $30. Yeah, I would be more, I would be more worried about, like you said, Seth, and uh, to answer your question, Richard, I do agree with Seth, like it could go up a little bit more and Kalidas is obviously very good, but I would be looking at like other cards that are still what I would consider underpriced, like the cards like Sylvan Advocate and Reflector Mage and stuff like that, just like the cornerstone cards of what I figure to be the new standard in April. I mean, I, I think like a card like Sylvan Advocate stands to gain a lot more than a card like Kal- yeah, Sylvan and- Advocate. Uh, Sylvan Advocate kind of speaks to me as like a supplemental product card, though. I don't know. We, we're does. not getting any more because they nope. declared no more event decks, no more clash nope. packs. Uh, so maybe we're safe. But to me, that seems like the face card of one of the one of the clash packs. It does, but there there's no more of them. Yeah. So <laughs> I would I would definitely agree with you if there was one. <laughs> uh, there's no event decks. Yeah, the only thing we're getting is intro packs anymore, right? And the uh, battle packs or whatever. The wait the yeah the uh, it's basically X versus X planeswalkers. No, 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 and no. X there's X a new drive. product with uh, with the set. It's I think the official name is a battle pack. It's basically. Oh. Two boosters and one of the five 30 card starter decks that they give up for free. So the ones that come with Sarah Angel, Singer Vampire, whatever. Uh, so that's okay. a new product. But essentially, for people who already play Magic, it's just two booster packs. And I think the right. idea is you can buy this, use a two boost, use the boosters to uh, upgrade your deck, and then like play your friend who also bought the same battle pack. And it's like a okay. ten dollar product or something. Weird, but all right. Well, it's more of a sealed then, product yeah. than a pre-constructed product. Gotcha. Well, then I guess, yeah. I mean, we don't, I don't think anyone has to worry. And we'll, we'll, I would be worried about <laughs> cards going up because there's no uh, release value. But I mean, I, I'm going to be making a bold statement. I, I've seen some preliminary stuff and I did my own testing as well. I think Sylvan Advocate is going to be literally in like every green deck and probably the best thing you could be doing for two. The best thing you could be two mana? That's yep. a bold statement. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's that good. 
I guess dig it's, through time is gone, huh? Can't dig through time anymore. Yeah, nope, can't dig through time. No, you cannot. And yeah, it's just never a bad card. Like it's good early, it's good middle, it's good late, and then all those little innocuous little man lands or creature lands, uh, rather sitting around. Suddenly you're like, you know, four, three double striking needle spires or four, five hissing quagmires. So, and they just stack. So <laughs> they're even good in multiple. It's going to be nuts. Um, so let's move along. The last thing on the docket, I think we have a fish mail and we wanted to talk about uh, limited implications. We might have uh, Jake on here soon to talk about limited stuff. But what what do you think as like you both play a lot of limited do you like this set from a limited standpoint? Is it anywhere close to the original Innistrad? Uh, I don't know. It's too early to say. I think it has some of the things that made the original Innistrad so beloved. The good flavor, the flip cards, uh, some interesting rares and mythics. On the other hand, I don't know. There were a lot of different archetypes in Innistrad, and it had a lot of cards that varied greatly in value depending on the archetype you were in. The poster child for this is spider spawning, which is like an unplayable in common. Unless you were the spider spawning self mill deck when it was like a first pick and the best card you could get. So it was very rewarding draft format to actually learn and figure out all the different archetypes. And I'm not sure that this one will have the depth, but it's obviously early to say that because that stuff, the spider spawning deck, which was uh, which I was just talking about, wasn't figured out until a couple months into everyone drafting the format. It wasn't just an obvious thing. So we kind of got to play with the set and see how it turns out. But right now, I think it'll be good, but I think it's going to be hard-pressed to match up to what is known to be one of the best, maybe top three limited sets of all time in the original Innistrad. Yep. Richard, what do you think? Yeah, I think Seth hit it, like, it's gonna, we, we don't know yet, like, the, the, the real question is, can you get the key card for your deck, like, 13th pick, right? Cause that's what Innistrad was. You could actually get, like, one of your premier cards to, to wheel, because the format was so deep. And I don't know if we have enough archetypes. I don't know if the mechanics support those archetypes. So, we're gonna have to see, because, you know, Innistrad had all the mill cards, it had the werewolf cards, it had travel preps, it had, like, all kinds of stuff to kind of bolster all the archetypes up. Um, and so far, you know, there, there's some obvious things like clues and werewolves, but beyond those, I don't know how much depth there is, and we're going to just have to play the format to actually figure that out. One of the things that worries me is in the original, one of the things that made it unique was that you had the cycle of uncommon lords, which could kind of push you into spirits or zombies. And this time around, those cards seem to be mostly at mythic, or at rare, rather. So I don't think there are as many uncommons, just from looking over the list, that really push you in a certain archetype or direction as there were in the original. So I'm a little nervous about that. Yeah. So for the the FN, or the uh, pre-release goers, and for someone like me that doesn't frequent limited uh, <laughs> events that much, but I might go to the pre-release, I do still like pre-releases, uh, what are some 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 thoughts and just some general advice for people, uh, again, going to the pre-release? So here's my super pro tip. When you play at uh, FNM, it's, I don't know what it's called, I think it's competitive realm? I don't know what it is, but it's at the realm where you can change your deck between rounds. So when you build your terrible seal deck and get crushed round one, uh, you know, you can talk to your friends, you can talk to your opponent, and you can actually reconfigure your entire deck. And it's perfectly legal uh, at that competitive level. Uh, so, you know, I would, you know, no matter how bad your pool is or how good your pool is, I would be constantly reevaluating it and 
changing it based on what you see and what, you know how the the cards played uh, during your matches. And you can configure your deck. You can change colors altogether. You can mash your sideboard in whatever. So you can actually do whatever you want with your deck. Uh, at the police. So I would encourage everyone to do that. Seth, my advice, I guess, this is more from a big picture standpoint, but I think a lot of newer players don't necessarily get this. It has to do with how you actually go about the construction of your deck. And if you watch really good players build sealed, or even if you play on Magic Online, you've probably seen the option to do this. They start off by not only separating the colors and getting rid of the absolutely unplayable cards, but then they sort their deck out by converted mana costs, so you can see your curve laid out in front of you. Because I think that's something, I know I didn't realize the importance of curve in Limited when I first started playing, uh, but it is one of the key things. Like, you can play a ton of powerful cards, but if their mana costs are all overlapping and you have 10 4-drops, your deck's not going to do well, even if every one of those four drops was a mythic or a rare and extremely powerful, because you're just going to get tempoed out. So when you build your deck, take the time to not only separate it by color, but lay it out in front of you by converted mana cost so you can get a sense of, do I have too many two drops or not enough two drops? Because sometimes it's right, and often it's right, to substitute a less powerful card that makes your curve more consistent than to play a more powerful card uh, if it if you already have too many other cards at the same converted mana cost. Yeah. So question... One or two cards from each of you that you absolutely should definitely play with or in your sealed pack. Do you have like a single or one or two cards that you like you looked at and you absolutely would play? Uh, the, the easy answer is Planeswalker. Uh, okay. Any Planeswalker is playable except Tybalt, uh, but any other one is usually your bomb card. But uh, out of the obvious, the non-obvious ones, I'm going to go with... Uh, what was that guy? Thraven Inspector? My one-mana, one-two investigate guy. <laughs> I, I think... <laughs> I think people will find value in him. <laughs> I think people will see that uh, it is a good card. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick that in my sealed deck and see how it goes. <laughs> All right, Seth. All right. Well, the most obvious one for me, which I think is on par with the Planeswalkers, which Richard was right about. They are obvious first picks, the best card in your pool. Is Startle Awake is a bomb, but everyone kind of knows that. It's kind of unfair to pick a mythic. Um, I think that another category that's kind of obvious is the rare removal spells. I think something like Avacyn's Judgment might be one of the best limited cards in the set. Uh, so I would definitely make sure to keep an eye on those type of cards in the pool because Avacyn's Judgment is a kind of effect that I would definitely go out of my way to splash. Like I would, I would put some work into my deck building to get that card to my deck, especially if you can play the Madness cost because that is going to win a lot of games that no other card in the set is going to win. For sure. All right, that's that's a really sweet uh, information. Really good advice, uh, Richard. Did we have a fish mail? I we think had we did. One. All right. Uh, let me dig it up. But as a reminder, everyone, uh, if you want us to answer your questions, you can tweet uh, at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag hashtag MTG Fish Mail. Yep, and we will try to answer any or all of them on each cast. Um, all right. A lot of them have been this comes from out with a knee. Uh, what tools do you use for deck building? Looking at you, Seth. Tapped out, gatherer, dot info, etc. Uh, well, honestly, almost all of my deck building I do in Magic Online, right in the client, because I'm playing the decks on there anywhere. 
anyway. And if you get used to it, it is it works like a lot of those programs, um, except it has an added benefit that you can see which cards you already own and which cards you would have to acquire to play a deck. So I do almost all my deck building on Magic Online, and then for Magic Online, I export the deck and put it into Goldfish and kind of do the finishing touches and uh, finish it off in the Goldfish deck editor. Mostly when Magic Online is during downtime, so that is pretty much the only time I use Gather or any of the other tools. Gotcha. All right, uh, I think that wraps things up. Good good question. Awesome answer, Seth. Uh, one last thing out the door, Seth. You asked earlier, and since we're asking questions about picking cards, uh, just another quick financial tidbit out the door. So you asked each of us a mythic. I'm gonna, I want to ask each of us a rare that we think is likely to be a good candidate to... Uh, it might not spike to, you know, $15 or something like that, but might be a little underpriced right now that it won't be surprising if it goes up a few dollars uh, and is commanding a higher price. So I want to start with you, Seth. Oh, man. All right. I'm. <laughs> I think that if we're talking about the short term and at the Pro Tour, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like Falconrath Gorger increase in price. I think that that's a deck. I think that people will play aggressive red strategies, and this will be a four of in those decks. Over the long term, I don't think it can maintain five or six dollars, but I wouldn't be surprised to shoot up after it top eights the upcoming Pro Tour. Gotcha. Richard? Uh, Wishful thinking, but bygone bishop will hearken the return of White Weenie. <laughs> and this is the card that you didn't even like. You didn't like this card. It's Richard. okay. <laughs> I, I, I think White Weenie has been sorely missing from our format. Yeah. And the closest we've gotten recently has been, like, Heroic, which uh, is kind of Weenie, but it's not, right? Like, it's it's more of a, I don't know, like a Bogles-type deck, right? But <laughs> I want, like, something that Craig Vesco will jam and some board state that you cannot calculate combat math on. And I think... Uh, bygone bishop could get you there it gives you the reach or not the reach but like the extra cards need to close out the game for white weenie so let's let's make white weenie happen savannah lions op <laughs> savannah you know what's actually really funny that you mentioned heroic uh i was going through some some pictures on my phone uh to try and free up space just looking at old pictures and i actually took a picture of a game i was playing with heroic uh at a game day and I just missed that deck so much. I loved Heroic. It was a, uh, it was a Battlewise Hoplite with like nine counters on it, and I was like double, uh, what was the, uh, Heroic Strike or something like that? The, oh. the one white plus one plus O, oh, and you draw a card? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, good times. I, I, really I miss Hero Bladehold, Moreland Haunt, <laughs> Chapter yeah. Parish, and yep. you're sitting there with counter spells for some reason in your white weedy deck, and then. Yeah. You just go to town with Hero Blade. Yeah, it was really funny. That deck did play counters. I remember that deck. It was a fun deck. Uh, in terms of rare, if I had to pick, and we did this on the uh, set review set, but I really still love From Under the... I, I think that card is crazy. Yeah, I still think that is a sleeper as well. So I, I agree with you. I think that card is very underrated. Yeah. And to, you know, cover my tracks, you know, I didn't... I, I wasn't so high on this card when we did the set review, but upon further review... uh. I think uh, the Cryptolith Rite is a card that is a lot better than I gave credit for. There might be some decks built around that card. I, th- I don't know if they're going to be good, <laughs> but they're certainly interesting. I think for me, we might have overlooked the combo potential of it. I think that it's. I think we were right. It's not a card you can just play fairly to give your random right. creatures a Birds of Paradise yeah. ability. <laughs> yeah. 
But there probably is some broken things that could be done with it once people start brewing up decks in standard and modern. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I think that wraps up another really good podcast. Um, we will do this again next week. Maybe we'll have Jake on for a limited segment. But, uh, gentlemen, it's been great. And uh, I think that about wraps up this episode. Any other things out the door? No? Yes? All right. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for the crew here this uh, this week, and we will do this next time. See you around. This is the crew signing out.